This is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our own humanity. My UFO Week continues with James Abbott, who is the author of The Outsider's Guide to UFOs. We chat about several incidents that have occurred throughout history. I do apologize, the quality is not what I would like, but the incidents we discuss makes it worth it. There is more Sci-Fi Talk, so stay tuned. UFOs. It's hard to separate the facts from mythology. There's just so much misinformation that clouds any serious investigation. Author James Abbott tries to navigate through all this Feldercarb, as they would say on Battlestar Galactica, in The Outsider's Guide to UFO with Volume 1 on Mystery and Science. We spoke in 2018, and part of the interview aired on a Time Capsule episode. But for the first time, here is our complete interview on a fascinating topic. UFOs, uh, where are we? Uh, There seems to be uh, less and less news about them. Uh, Is it kind of uh, people losing interest, you think? No, I don't think so. I think uh, there's always these lulls in uh, interest in UFOs, but there's been, I mean, we're talking about 70 years of sightings since the Second World War alone, and there's been a number before that that may well have been uh, convincing sightings. The, um, the, the the situation always goes quiet for a while after big uh, events, and I think what's happened recently in December um, and, and right the way through to April with the Department of Defence releasing those Navy videos has really set people talking and um, we've all got quite a lot to think about from those. Yeah, absolutely. No, it is, uh, it is interesting, you know, when that those came out. Uh, I'm surprised they released them, but I'm glad they did. Uh, yeah. So uh, in your book, uh, you know, the, uh, the Outsider's Guide to UFOs, you talk about 40 of the most important cases, and obviously we're not going to do that. But, uh, <laughs> but how about one that maybe... Uh, not necessarily one of your favorites, but one of the ones that kind of piqued your interest. Oh yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, yeah. those 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 forty are all are all ones that piqued my interest because they are stunningly um, convincing as sightings. But I, I guess what, it, there are there are two. If you wouldn't mind, I could give you two. One it's from great. Nine, one from nineteen oh nine. Wow. And have one from something a little bit newer maybe in 2007 so a hundred years apart two sightings in 1909 um, a police officer in the town of peterborough in england with the very picturesque name of pc kettle mm-hmm. saw uh, an object pass over the city this is 1909 it's um, april may time of that year and he was out uh, patrolling late at night saw an object pass over the city which he said looked like a a cigar with lights on it and it was moving very fast but he didn't say anything to anyone he, uh, probably thought it, everybody would think he was mad but the um the next few days and into about a fortnight there were reports of similar objects all across the east Mid- and west midlands in the uk and pc kettle eventually gave his story now this was reported in the newspapers as being an object which was moving under what was called strict control at high speed and with lights on the front and the back. Now, at that particular time, 1909, there was no British air, 
ship flying at all. It to be another year before even a small one got into the air. And the Germans were just, only just, prototyping some of their early Zeppelins, and they too were very small. None of them could carry searchlights, not the generators and the weight of those searchlights. So the, the question is, what was it in the air over England in 1909 that caused a police officer and probably 30 or 40 other witnesses to report things in the air? And then you have you come forward a hundred years to a pilot who was leaving Southampton in the year 2007. Now he, uh, what he did was to see as he got up about 4,000 feet above Southampton, he was on a short flight to uh, what we call the Channel Islands, which lie just off France, their British dependencies. Um, and he was on a flight to them. Now, once you get up to about 4,000 feet over Southampton in England, you can actually see the 80 miles to the Channel Islands. Yeah. And he could he could see on a nice clear day the whole of the thing. He'd done this flight for about 10 years, and he was very well used to it. But on this particular day, he saw a bright yellow object um, about 80 miles away over the island of Guernsey. Now, he at first thought it was a reflection, but it didn't go away, and his passengers also saw it. Now, those aircraft in those days didn't have separate cockpits. The pilot just sat in front of the passengers. And the, the main thing is, I think, here, that the, the passengers and the pilot of this aircraft saw these objects for about 20 minutes. And there were two of them, bright yellow, cigar-shaped, and Bowyer, the captain, actually looked at them through binoculars and saw... Um, coloured bands on these objects. But not only that, but a second aircraft, completely independent aircraft, was uh, south, about 20 miles south of Boja, saw this object as well and reported it to Jersey Air Traffic Control. And also people on the ground reported the objects. Now, again, you know, this is what I call a most credible sighting because you're talking about two separate aircraft, two separate aviators, both of whom had had lots of experience in the air and knew what they were seeing, and plus corroboration by passengers and people on the ground. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, those are two very good ones. The, the one in 1909, obviously we didn't have anything in the air in those days, so it kind of yeah. gives it a little more credibility because we weren't flying anything. So, you know, could have, yeah. you know that really does. That's pretty cool. Um, and, and your book also has nine official projects and reports. Uh, the nine yeah. official projects, is that like, is that the total number of projects that have been done investigating UFOs or have there been more? Oh, I'm sure there have been more, far more than that. We, but those are the ones, those are the main ones we know about, you know, going back to the original Project uh, Grudge in the United States, Project Sign, Project Blue Book, and coming forward to the French investigations, the British investigations. I mean, the British have carried out two separate investigations over a period of 50 years, plus the, the MOD in this country has recorded UFOs for a similar period up to about 2009. And in the States, of course, they've just literally completed this advanced aviation threat um, study over five years, which, which also seems to have come up with some quite astounding evidence, only a little of which has been released into the public domain. Yeah, wow. Yeah, it's pretty, yeah, I mean, we, there's a lot we don't know uh, that, yeah. we're, that we're not being told. And, you know, that's what fuels the conspiracy theories and things like that. But you know, it's hard to say what is real and what is fake, because uh, 
it's just a buzzword this year, but there is a lot of fake news regarding UFOs, unfortunately. Yeah, there's a huge amount of fake news about UFOs. Uh, you know, people people like to con other people and get a, a rise out of them, and that's that's pretty obvious. Which is why, in the book, I've tended to concentrate on on examples that have got good corroboration, yeah. especially from police and pilots. Yeah, that that's that's important because obviously they're trained professionals and and have better than average powers of observation. So there you go. Yeah, indeed. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, one theory is that uh, here in the United States that uh, the government has been putting out all these false reports to kind of throw, to kind of hide the real things that are going on, uh, you know, with Area 51 and all that. Um, I mean, I, the area is there. It does exist. But what's yeah. going on? We still don't know, really. That's right. I mean, we have no we have no idea really what's going on in Area Fifty One, except what used to go on in Area Fifty One. We know that it's got a, a history of testing and developing some very very advanced aircraft, some of the most successful military aircraft in the world, and some of the most advanced technology. But nothing has ever come out of Area Fifty One which can do what UFOs are reported to do. Um, at least not that we know of. Now, I know a lot of people think that there are UFOs there in hangars just sitting around waiting, but, uh, you know, that, it could be true. I, I'm not ruling out anything. But if if the United States government was in possession of the sort of science and technology that UFOs possess, I'm pretty sure over 70 years, a lot of that would have got into the public domain. So, you know, and there are theories that some of it has because a lot of people think that... Uh, Solid state electronics were part of of UFOs. Well, I'm not. I don't actually subscribe to that. I think human beings are quite capable of developing solid state electronics. But some of the more advanced stuff, and some some of the things that um, that seem to have come out of the uh, of the U.S. Navy sightings, in terms of the uh, theories that are going through the To the Stars Academy at the moment, where they're saying that. What actually was discovered during the ATIN study was that these things are probably working on a quantum mechanical basis. Now, to me, that's more feasible because we're talking about if if anything exists out there, it's going to have to be pretty advanced. There is more on The Outsider's Guide to UFOs with James Abbott, so keep watching those guys. This is Ben Browder from Farscape. You're listening to Sci-Fi Talk. What would be probably if, you know, let's assume there's something going on, that's for sure. But let's assume that yeah. they are real. Um, yeah. What would be what would make sense getting here uh, is uh, faster than light travel is kind of a one way trip. So it, it's possible to go back because that's going because of the time involved. Uh, but uh, what about wormholes? Is it possible they might have? Uh, could that be one theory as to how they're getting here and, and going back? Yeah, it could be one theory. I mean, everybody's got their pet theory about how UFOs, if they exist, um, are operated and how they work. And it's interesting to see the, the way that things have developed over the years because, you know, what we do is we tend to interpret um, almost everything in terms of what we know and what we know as being possibly feasible. 
So back in the 50s, we were talking about UFOs being powered by jets and being faster than modern aircraft and all the rest of it. Well, we moved on from that, and then it got to wormholes and Star Trek-type things. And nowadays, I think we're getting to be a little bit more realistic about it because the sort of thing that came out of the Department of Defense, in theory, this report, this missing report that they have not released, is supposed to say that uh, we're talking about time-space warping, which is pretty close to Star Trek. But it's what they're doing, of course, is it's not a wormhole. What the, in theory, they would warp time and space so that they, they are in a different area almost instantly. And that's the sort of theory that seems to be uh, prevalent at the moment. There's more with The Outsider's Guide to UFOs in a moment. Your book also has the very best... Uh, photo and video evidence available. And that must have taken a ton of research on your part. Yeah, I think the, the amount of time that's been spent on the book is quite long, but I've enjoyed every minute of it. It's, uh, it's, it's an incredibly fascinating subject, and it's not I mean, my whole life, but it's, uh, it's something that you get a big kick from when you find something. But the, 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 the video and photographic evidence is a real problem because we have so much of it nowadays. You, know, you go online, go on the web, you'll see thousands and thousands of photos and videos of purported UFOs. Yeah. And all of, all of them could be real, but all of them also could be fake. Um, so what I've concentrated on the, in the book is really at the sort of examples that, again, are very, very compelling. Um, the Trent photographs, for example, um, where Paul Trent took a photograph of two um, pieces of kit that were flying over a field yeah. just near his farm. Um, now, those were black and white photographs, and everybody has said, oh, yeah, they were fake. They were objects that were hanging from a telephone wire or whatever. Again, I'm not convinced by those explanations, partly because of the work that's been done by various uh, United States UFO um, scientists, yeah. and partly and partly by, you know, your own judgment. Mm -hmm. Similarly, um, you know, the, the Mariana film is, is extremely compelling, partly because, and, and, you know, sometimes I think the skeptics forget this, that if somebody was faking things like this, they would make it look a damn sight more convincing than the Mariana film does, mm -hmm. um, which sees two objects floating past or flying past and um, actually get manages to get um, objects in the way so that we get a sense of perspective. Now, Blue Book um, looked into those sites, that particular film, very closely, and they didn't think it was local aircraft and reflections. They thought that it couldn't be explained in that way, and they found they, they said it couldn't be explained. So there are all sorts of um, interesting cases that, that throw up photographs that, yes, it could have been faked, and yes, it could have been an aircraft, but the chances are it wasn't. No, it's true. It, I, I mean, there's just a lot of compelling evidence that, uh, you know, if anything, uh, what it really just screams at is more investigations on this and to really look at it and really, to be honest, get the funding to really look at it and investigate it scientifically so that if there is something going on, we can explain it rather than, uh, than you know, people theorizing and, and coming up with their own explanations and, 
and in some cases faking what's going on too. So you know, it's hard to say. Um, I wanted to ask you about a case um, that's pretty famous UFO case. Uh, the, the the it's called uh, here in the states the Phoenix Lights. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, I am. Yeah. What, yeah. That, what's your take on that? That that is a very compelling case uh, because pretty much the entire city saw a thing or close to it. Yeah, the, the, the Phoenix Lights one is is, is good because it, it um, has everything about a UFO story. It has a cover up. It has a an explanation from the authorities, which actually doesn't hold a great deal of water. Um, it has um, a governor who saw something in the sky, but then pretended not to, and then gave a fake news conference about it. Right. Um, and tried, tried. I think he was genuine. I think Symington was gen genuinely wanting to settle the uh, the sort of fears and anxieties in the area at the time. And he thought a bit of humour would do that, but actually it stirred up a lot of resentment because people saw what they saw and they were resentful of anybody saying that that was nonsense and it was all a, a joke. So, yeah, the Phoenix Lights thing is, is compelling, partly again because it wasn't just about Phoenix. It was about objects that were seen right the way across the state and from the north right the way down to the south. Um, and all of that happened at a particular point in time when people were just beginning to get cameras and video cameras that they could carry around. Right. So we got some good we got some good video of it. Yeah. Uh, but again, you know, you've, if you look online, you'll see millions of attempted explanations that say, well, actually, there were flares, and the United States Air Force is absolutely right; they uh, they were practicing with flares on that that range, um, and so there was nothing to worry about. But actually. You know, I think that's wrong. I think those those things did exist. People saw what they say they saw. And it's this whole thing about any sort of human corroboration. In, in a court of law, if there was, you know, if you could get 20 people together and they all said in a court of law, yes, that guy hit the other chap in a bar, right. then you'd be pretty sure that actually happened. He did. He went up to him and he hit him. Um, but that doesn't happen with UFOs. You can get a thousand people saying, we saw something in the sky that was triangular, black, and floating, and everybody disbelieves them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's human nature. Uh, it's almost like there's like a built-in defense to not really even attempt to wrap your mind around that. And, yeah. and maybe a fear that nobody wants to, to prove that we're not alone in the universe, although... Uh, I, I think we're not. I think we're not alone. I mean, it's just, it's a. It, if it is, if we are alone, it's a big waste of space. Out. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. I think. I think the chances of us being alone in this universe are, are vanishingly small. The um, the amount of the amount of stars and I, I mean, I did some rough calculations once, which proved that there must be something like ten thousand advanced civilizations out there that still exist after all these millions of years. Now, if you, if you start to think about the billions of galaxies and the billions of stars, and you come down to a figure like 10,000, which is very, very small by, by universe, you know, galactic universal standards, it's still an immense number of, of civilizations that could be traveling to other places and getting somewhere. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Vanishingly small chance of being alive. 
Yeah, I, I, yeah, it just doesn't. It just doesn't seem to uh, to fit what's going on. Well, I tell you, it's very, it's it's fascinating. Uh, this is always something that's fascinated me. Uh, I've always tried to keep an open mind about it. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I, I've, I've, uh, you know, throughout the years, I've gotten interesting misinformation. I think. Uh, I mean, Roswell is a combination of mythology and reality. And what the reality actually is, is hard at this point to uh, to kind of separate. Unfortunately, we also have lost a lot of the people that uh, were there. So they're no longer with us. And for a time, we were chasing the undertaker a little bit to uh, to, to get statements. Uh, but I think something happened there. I think I think a crash did happen. Uh, what it was exactly, um, you know, there just isn't enough proof to uh or if there is it's not available to us as to what it was and yeah. and then you hear things like you know majestic 12 and all of that and uh that's also part of uh of separating the fact from fiction from that is a chore into itself if the organization even existed so uh those, yeah. that kind of muddies the waters a little bit for me and it's hard to um to you know, to separate what's real, but you know, I, I I give you credit for at least attempting to do that in your book and to give an honest account of what's going on out there. Thanks very much. It's very kind of you. I, I do agree with everything is muddied nowadays. Um, it's all been so long since Roswell that uh, and President Truman that the amount of work that's been going on on that Majestic Twelve and um, and Roswell itself, of course. You know, eminent ufologists like Stanton Friedman and Stephen Greer have tried to uh, to uncover everything, but uh, partly the government, I think, tries to muddy the waters a little bit, yeah. and um, and partly it's other ufologists who come up with different ideas and different theories, and that makes everybody think of completely different explanations. Yeah, especially when they uh, most of them contradict each other, and that's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and that's where the uh, that's where the confusion, uh, you know, goes. But um, you know, yeah. but, but we'll see. Well, it's the UFO. It's the Outsider's Guide to UFOs, and I highly recommend it. It's a it's a fascinating uh, book, and uh, there's some really interesting things that'll have you thinking. Um, and I just say we just need more research into it. Uh, it would be nice to even have a government agency just devoted to that. But now you're talking about funding. But, uh, you know, maybe uh, maybe cut the defense budget a little bit. We can only blow up the world so many times. So, uh, <laughs> you know. So yeah, you're absolutely right. right. But thank you again. And uh, it's great to talk to you. And, uh, you know, we'll uh, I, actually before we do go, um, this is actually you're going to be doing another book in this series. Is that right? Yeah, volume two, um, but a couple of months away now. Um, oh, it brings the story up to date a bit. Oh, good, good. And that'll update anything recently that's going on, too. Yeah, it'll update that. And um, what I'll be dealing with in Volume 2 is, is the conspiracy theories and the oh, abductions good. and various other aspects of the, of the whole phenomenon. Yeah, the, you know, that, that we'll have to talk again about the abduction area because that's like a whole <laughs> other animal right oh, there. Yeah. You know, and uh, again, some of the cases seem plausible. And some of them are like, really? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay.
All right. Well, thanks again, Mr. Abbott, and uh, and we will talk again. Yeah. Thank you, Tony, and thanks very much for having me on. I look forward to it. Okay. Thank you. Yes. Look for the Outsider's Guides to UFOs, Volume One: Mystery and Science at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and wherever books are sold. Plus, it's available as an ebook as well. Thanks for listening. This is Tony Tolado.